Hey, this is Dr. Priyanka Venugopal, and you're listening to the Unstoppable Mom Brain Podcast, Talking Money with Dr. Bonnie Koo. I am thrilled to bring you today's conversation with my good friend and fellow peer coach, Dr. Bonnie Koo. Bonnie is a physician turned coach. She's the author of Wealth for Women and the host of the popular podcast, Wealthy Mom MD. She is an expert in all things money and really helps high achieving professional moms, specifically physicians, understand money, and more importantly, grow their wealth. I think that today's conversation is going to help you really challenge some of the thoughts that maybe you've had about having money, earning money, and spending money. I know in my experience personally and in my work with hygiene professionals, women have a lot of thoughts about money. And I think that sometimes it feels very uncomfortable to talk about money. We feel uncomfortable in discussing money and talking about what we're spending on, particularly because of a lot of the beliefs we have grown up with. And we get to explore all of that today. This conversation is going to be so good for you if you are interested in understanding how to create more money now and really start obliterating some of the old thoughts you've had. I cannot wait for you to enjoy today's conversation. If you want to reach your ideal weight and create lightness for your body, you need to have simplicity, joy, and strategic decisions infused into your life. I'm a physician turned life and weight loss coach for ambitious working moms. I've lost over 60 pounds without counting points, calories, or crazy exercise plans. Most importantly, I feel calm and light on the scale and in my life. There's some delicious magic when you learn this work and the skills I'm going to be teaching you. Ready? Let's get to it. Before we get into the podcast episode today, I want to make sure you know that you can still grab the replay of my most recent masterclass, How to Lose Weight with a High Achiever's Brain. In this masterclass, you learn the three most common obstacles that high achievers have in hitting their goal today. I find that high achievers love making plans. And listen, plans are important. But unless you understand the three biggest obstacles that high achievers face, you're going to keep creating the same results. So do not wait to grab this masterclass. You can still get it at the unstoppablemombrain.com forward slash training. Okay, let's get into today's episode with Dr. Bonnie Koo. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast, Bonnie. I am so excited to have you. And I have a list like it's a mile long of all of the questions that I want to ask you. I'm going to have you introduce yourself in just a minute, but I, me and Bonnie have been talking offline for quite a while. And I have been so excited about this conversation because Bonnie Koo is a physician turned coach. She is a money coach for physicians and physician women. Specifically, I'm going to have you introduce everything that you do. And then we're going to talk about all things money today. So Bonnie, take it away. Welcome. Hey, it's so fun to be on your podcast after, you know, it's just fun to have your friends on, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us like, tell us a little bit about you, how, because I feel like somebody listening to this might be like, how do you go from being a physician to being a money coach? Because I feel like there's, there's quite a stretch. I know I felt like I didn't know much about money, even like going through medical school and residency and stuff. I feel like I had to learn after the fact. So tell us a little bit about your journey and then we're going to get into it. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you the short version, but uh, I was not planning to do this as I'm sure you were not planning to become a coach as well. Yeah, I think that's everyone's path. They weren't planning on it and et cetera. So I just started educating myself about money and then noticed that it was a gap in people's knowledge, which makes sense. I think I like knew that people didn't really know money, but it's obviously a very needed skill set and knowledge base. And physicians make a great income compared to most of the country. But having more money does not mean you know what to do with it or how to deal with it at all. And so And I think also a lot of physicians are maybe a little embarrassed that they don't know about money. We're so used to being the experts and kind of like 
a know-it-all mm-hmm. and to not really know about money, plus all the drama around it, cultural, personal, et cetera. So I just was educating myself, helping other people in this Facebook group. And and then someone was like, you should start a blog. And I was confused. <laughs> and How did you start a I, blog? And I was like, why would I start a blog? But then I did. And then I just started getting asked to speak and it, it kind of was an accidental business in many ways. But mm. then at some point I decided to make it real versus like a cute little hobby that made some money. Okay. So, I was like, why not? Yeah. Basically. So like, is this something that you were always interested in, in pursuing and understanding? Or did you just feel like there's this need? There's a gap in my knowledge. I want to go fill the gap. And then in your journey in doing that, you started being like, wow, there's so much here that people need to know about. Yeah. I mean, basically I was educating myself because I knew nothing. I was like a mm-hmm. chronic overspender during residency. I got paid once a month literally would go to zero before the next paycheck very often. It okay. just was like my whole life. I would make, I was always good at making money, but okay. not keeping it. It was, I was like a sieve. <laughs> mm, that's so interesting because I feel like there's two ends of the spectrum with high achievers. Like some high achievers will make money, but they like do not want to spend it. And I want to definitely talk about that. And then the other end of the spectrum, which is like you make money and then you just spend it kind of without really thinking about how you're investing it how you might want to grow it and create more wealth, which is I know what you teach your clients how to do. So what would you say about like both ends of the spectrum? Do they have totally different mindsets coming into money or is it something you find overlap with? I definitely see exactly what you're talking about. I you know when people think of money or even how much they make, they're usually thinking about it in terms of how much they can spend. Mm. So as we're kind of, it's like we're very consumer driven, right? And which makes sense in terms of, you know, the the message out there. And we're not really giving messaging about, I think people kind of know you should save money. People don't really talk about investing when you're young. It's all about saving money. At least that's what I heard from my mom. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're not really told that we can grow our money. Because I think also just money is just a topic that people don't feel comfortable talking about. And talking about growing your money, like that's definitely not conversations people don't really have, right? Yeah. Actually, that's actually what I want to start out with is... Definitely, we're going to get to growing your money and creating more wealth and how you do that. But before we do that, can we just talk about why is it so uncomfortable to talk about money, having money, earning money, money? I feel like there's something uncomfortable about it. And whenever we are uncomfortable about it, I think it kind of blocks us from educating ourselves really on it For sure. deeply. So like, what do you think it is about, especially women? I don't see this happening as much with men, but especially with women, why do you think that there's such a discomfort and... How can people start kind of overcoming that? Yeah. So I think of it as, I was going to say three things. I'm just like making this up in terms of how many things, but there's like the overall society, societal narrative. Now we both live in the United States, but I'm sure it's similar in other countries about don't talk about money. If you have a religious upbringing, that's also part of it. Money is greedy. The pursuit of money is evil. Like all the things that we hear that is bad. So there's like that societal narrative and then could be a cultural overtone as well. And then like, as you said, it is totally different for women and I think that there's definitely historical stuff. And then just the way women are socialized to, we're just judged so much more harshly than mm. men. And we're given very different messaging. Like if you, I'm generalizing obviously, but you know, men are, boys are told like basically money is power. And mm. there's also pressure on men, right? Because in terms of, you know, if we're talking about just like regular heterosexual dating with a man and a woman, like there's a lot of pressure on the man to make money, to be an attractive mm. mate, right? Mm. So that's a that's like something that I've thought about. Or like, you know, that there is like, there's like both sides to the coin, right? But women aren't, I feel like women are kind of taught to save money. And there's actually been Mm -hmm. some sort of study or literature showing that the articles specifically for women have different topics. It's all about 
being frugal and, you know, don't shop and spend so much money. Like, I think in general, the overall theme with women is that like, we need to be reined in and not just with money. It's like everything we need to be Uh reined in. We need to like, be careful. And also this, there is like a harsh judgment. Like, think about like this, like, and it's so insidious because also women, you know, we're talking about the patriarchy here, obviously, but women also perpetuate the patriarchy because it's like in the air. It's just how everyone talks about it. But like, think about if a man posts about his new car or Rolex watch, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a set of opinions. Obviously there'll be some negative, but if a woman does the same thing, wholly different comments will appear. Mm. Right. Like they're just going to be judged so differently. Like, why are you flaunting that? Mm -hmm. Whereas for a man, it's almost like a status symbol. Yeah. I think the word that you said that like really struck me as completely true is the idea of money. And especially with men, there is a, there's a sense of power. Whereas with women, I think that there's a sense of indulgence and and there's something very um, shameful. I think that that's the word that's coming to my mind. Like the idea of having money or spending money is indulgent, particularly if you're spending on something that you deem as not morally valuable. Like if you're spending on a bag, if you're spending on clothes, if you're spending on something that you deem as quote unquote frivolous, it seems indulgent rather than powerful. And I agree with you. I think that women have unfortunately bought into the narrative and which is, which is why we perpetuate it. So what would you say to someone that can see the difference? They're starting like, maybe even just listening to this conversation, they're like, true. Like, how come it's powerful for men and indulgent for women? How do you think that they start to unpack that a little bit if they don't want to feel that way anymore about money? Yeah. I just wanted to give a quick example that came to mind as we were having this conversation. Like, I'm sure everyone who's listening has had some experience where a girl's talking about, oh, I'm shopaholic. I'm spending too much money on a bag. You'll literally never hear a man say that. Never. Right? So I think that is just something because we all talk about that, right? And just like women will often talk about, they want to lose weight. Like, I don't think men talk yeah. about that. Either, right? so, but the okay. idea of spending on that, I mean, just, just to continue that example, the idea of spending on that, what I have found with women is like, women will need to prove to themselves that they are worth spending on the bag or on coaching or on weight loss, or like you you fill in the blank with what it is that women want to spend on. And they feel this need to prove to themselves that it's so worth it. Whereas, I mean, I'm just going to use my husband as an example. He doesn't think 10 times before he makes a significant investment, whether it's in himself or whether he's doing something for the family or for our home. He just like thinks about it once. Maybe he mentions it to me, not always. And he just moves forward. He doesn't think like 10 times about it. Whereas I know for me, at least prior to coaching, I used to not only think about it, I would research it. Then I would like think about it for like, a month. Should I do it? Let me weigh the pros and cons. Then then I'll take it to the next level. Let me run it by. Let me run it by my husband. See what he thinks about it. And mm. if he thinks it's a good idea, then you know, now all of a sudden I can borrow his belief that it's a good idea. So like, what are What's we doing about? about this? What are, what are we doing yeah. about this? Because I feel like that is holding so many women back from investing in the things that they want to invest in to spend. I mean, I know this this conversation is going all over the place, but I feel like this is such an important topic. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think a large part of it is how women are not, we don't prioritize ourselves. We're really bad at that. And I, especially mm-hmm. there's even more so as a mom, like we're the caretakers, we take care of everyone else first. And maybe if there's something left over, we'll spend on ourselves. But if you just think about like the parents listening, like most of us wouldn't hesitate to spend something on our children. No, we will overthink and hesitate to spend something on ourselves. Yeah. I just, yeah, it's like, 
I I can see so many, so many high achievers, especially with the idea of spending for their child, for their home, for their family, even for their vacation, even for like a family vacation. I can see that we feel less, less like we don't have to overthink it so much. We feel more likely to be able to do that. But when it comes to when it's just us and we're the only person, like a bag or a pair of shoes or coaching, it's like we think 10 times about it. So what is what is happening there? How do we yeah. how do we get well, over part that? Part of it is like I said, just the practice of not prioritizing ourselves. Also, I think mm-hmm. it's a worthiness issue. We feel like maybe we don't deserve it. Like it's funny because I don't really have those thoughts anymore. So I'm just trying mm-hmm. to think what it was. But yeah, I think the word you said it, it seems like an indulgence. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, is this worth it? Is like, is this morally a good thing to be spending on? Well, and you know how you were talking about judgment, like what will people say? The judgment, it's like, actually, we are judging it just oh, as yeah. harshly as everyone else. Like, it's not that we're actually worried about what somebody else will think about the fact that we're spending money on this quote unquote indulgent thing. It's, we have a lot of thoughts that are super laced in judgment. And I think that's what we're saying is coming from our upbringing, from the messaging that we've received from society. And then we buy into it rather than challenge it. Yeah. And in general, people have negative views on anyone with money. So if you're amongst your peers, you have a different comfort level of what you talk about. I'm sure you and I have been in the same Facebook group because we're in all these physician groups and they'll say like, Mm -hmm. well, I can't post to my public feed, but Mm -hmm. I'm student loan free or I can't post to my public feed, but here's this thing I bought or here's this vacation that I'm taking, but they don't feel comfortable putting up because some people will have negative reactions who you know may not make as much money as you. Yeah. There's this sense that if you are making money and maybe you're speaking about it in a group of people that are not making as much as you or not making money at all, let me not speak about money. Let me not talk about what I just bought. Let me not talk about what I'm spending on because I don't want other people to feel bad. Yeah. Feel like um, you'll make them feel bad. Like you said, a lot of it's just our own self-judgment. So it really comes down to being okay with people not being happy about you doing it. And it it really comes, everything comes down to the relationship with yourself, right? That's like what, that's like the core of actually Mm -hmm. just had lunch with a coach friend. It's like, that really is what it comes down to. When you have a great relationship with yourself, it doesn't mean that you don't care or feel bad when you have negative feedback, but you're just so much more gentle with yourself. When you think about like someone that wants to familiarize themselves with money and get maybe that they're starting to take steps to get comfortable even talking about money, having it, earning it. What is it that you think high achievers are missing in terms of the information they need to start growing their money? Because that was the first thing that you were talking about, having money, then there's growing money. So what is growing money? How do we do that? Yeah, that's how we do that. Well, there's like the actual skill and strategy, like you have to know things to have mm-hmm. to do it, right? You can't just be like, let's grow money. It'll start growing. Look on trees. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of drama around it though, and fear, mm. especially with high achieving perfectionistic women, because they're so mm. afraid of making a mistake and losing money. Mm-hmm. It comes down to fear of losing money and the risk involved. And what I like to say is, how is it more risky to not be investing? What I have found is there is a fear of losing money, which totally makes sense. I have those you know, same thoughts too. But we wouldn't be so scared if, again, back to the treating yourself better when or well when you do, you know, you don't get the outcome that you want. But mm-hmm. also, I think a lot of the fear is if I lose money, then I'm going to be even more behind as if it's going to set them back. It might be oh, a temporary yeah. setback, but it's because of most people think about the growth of money as being some linear thing. And so if you F up, you've like, you know, taken 10 steps back and it's going to take double the effort to get ahead. That's just Mm. not true. Money is not a linear. 
And and the reason why we think that it makes sense is because most of us are employees on a regular paycheck. So it makes sense that you make the same amount of money, right? The same increments. So it makes sense that your brain would think that, but that's actually not how money's created. I love one thing that you just said also is how you're going to be with yourself. So the piece that you just said was people are afraid. It's not that they're afraid necessarily of investing or growing their money. They're afraid of making a mistake with their money. Like what if I spend or what if I invest and I don't get a good return, an ROI, then they've made a mistake. And I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on like how people talk to themselves when they've made a money mistake. It's like they go down the shame spiral of like, I shouldn't have done that. It was terrible. And how that might hold them back from actually investing in the first place. Yeah. I mean, everything you just described is what happens. They go into a shame spiral or they'll just just like clam up and not take action for like another year or something like that. Or yeah, I've seen sort of all all the things when it comes to money mistakes. But the thing is, it's less about that because also it's like, how are you categorizing a mistake anyway? Right. So that's like one thing. But like, I think the fear of that literally prevents them from even taking any action. This is the biggest thing. So I just did a a webinar on this whole topic of why high achievers are not taking needle moving action for weight loss. But this applies to taking needle moving action to grow your money, needle moving action to get a promotion, to improve your relationship. And one of the big things is high achievers spend a lot of time in consumption, in learning, in passive growth. Like, Like, let me just consume more content because I think we think if I learned more, then I would choose better. If I learned more information, then I might make that best investment decision. So how does somebody overcome that piece of understanding that they could keep learning? And I mean, I'm I'm totally guilty of this. Like, let me just like read one more blog article. Let me just like Google this one other thing before I make my decision. So how does somebody start knowing when they have consumed enough information to be knowledgeable enough to make a decision versus when they're holding back and they're like in fear, in fear? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's obvious you're not actually doing needle moving actions. But, you know, I think there's also this like sort of all or none thinking is like, I need to be consuming before I can take action versus like, I need to learn and I can take action as I learn. Because the truth is like, when you think Mm -hmm. about our medical training, like you had to see patients to put your knowledge in action and you get, could you imagine if like all of our training, even up till becoming attending was just learning and like not seeing a patient, like it would not work. So true. Oh, I never, that's such a good example. Yeah. So it's like, you have to be doing things as you learn. And the the truth is things will happen. And I think people think there's a way to not have, basically have a perfectionistic path to making money. And that is just not true. Yeah. And actually, if you, I mean, I like this medical, medical example. So like in medical school, we did mostly learning by the textbook until we got to rotations, third and fourth year. And that's when we got exposed to real humans for the first time. And we got to learn kind of by observing attendings or residents practicing medicine. But then in residency, it was hands-on, right? So there was like textbook learning, but there was hands-on application. And I would probably say, I'm curious what you think about this, but some of my best learning happened while observing mistakes. Like if there's a complication in the OR, if there is something that like a patient is not responding well, actually those moments were the times that I probably learned and grew the most. Totally, totally applies to money, right? Because, you know, so a lot of my clients will end up investing in real estate or start a business. And yeah, it's so interesting how high achieving, I think this is, I, I guess that's the people that we work with. So they... I think they just expect that like it'll just be a upwards mm-hmm. like linear you know trajectory especially in business right like you start making money as if 
it should always go up. Apparently that's not true. I learned that a few years ago. <laughs> Apparently it's not, when, I, yeah. when I made less money one year, I was like, I literally went into a shame spiral, Priyanka, because I was like, yeah. this shouldn't be happening. I should not be going backwards. And then my business yeah. coach was like, you know, business goes up and down, right? <laughs> and it was like, oh, I, I mean, this is the same with weight loss. I think a lot of times women will think like, I'm just supposed to lose a pound a week. And it's like this linear line. And if you don't lose weight that way, I've done something wrong. I'm not going fast enough. I didn't figure something out. I'm going backwards rather than, wait a second, this is a body. I'm not a robot. Of course, my body's not going to release weight linearly, but like we need somebody to tell us. So I guess you're here to tell us when it comes to money, it is not linear. Yeah. And also just thinking about why money feels scarier, because if you think about it, money is needed for survival. Yeah. And the level of fear that people fear, and I felt it too, so I can relate. It it almost feels like you're going to become homeless, like that magnitude, even though like if you separate yourself, you can see that it's not necessarily true, but yeah, that's where your brain is going. There's a fear about losing money because I think kind of the sense I'm getting is that money is associated with security and safety and the ability to have a roof over our heads and have a certain lifestyle that maybe we're used to. And the idea of that going away feels very threatening. So it's not surprising we have this primitive, very primitive response of like fight flight. We have to really protect money to protect our security. So I think that 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 kind of lends itself really well to that question of how do we then define a mistake? How do we define if we are getting an ROI on what we wanted to get versus like really fearing, oh man, this is like, was a huge mistake. Money's going out. I'm not getting an ROI and navigating that mistake moving forward. I think with all mistakes, no matter what the area, it just comes down to what you do with that. Yeah. Either you learn from it or it just puts you in fear mode and you never look at it again and don't learn from it. Yeah. And I think actually not learning from your mistake is the most expensive thing you will ever do. You know, a lot of times, because when I, whenever I talk about clients or potential clients that are interested in working with me about weight loss, I ask them the question, what would it be worth to you to solve this problem and hit your dream ideal weight and have it feel like it's lasting in forever? What was, what is that worth worth for you? And 100% of the time, there's not even a dollar number that people can assign to that because it's priceless. It's priceless. The idea that I can live in my ideal weight body and feel calm and ease is priceless. So the ROI is priceless. And yet there's a fear around what if I mess up? What if I don't do it right? What if I don't get that ROI? And I think that what we're talking about is the only way you wouldn't get the ROI is if you stopped understanding and growing from mistakes. That is why it is so expensive. And so many people do do that. So like, I kind of want to shed light. Listen, you will not get an ROI if you hide from mistakes. Like I'm just going to put it all out there. If you quit, if you hide, if you stop learning how to grow from your mistakes, it is absolutely going to be super, a super expensive investment. What if I make a mistake? It's what are you going to do when you do? How are you going to treat yourself? Because that, like I said, it just comes back to the relationship with yourself and also maybe a fear that they're not going to be able to figure it out. And it's going to be this like irrevocable mistake that they can't recover from, right? Which we know is not true. So a lot of it's gently reminding people, you've literally always figured things out a hundred percent of the time. Absolutely. I think that that comes from high achievers having a fixed mindset around the all or nothing. Yesterday's best was my best. And so if that was my best, then it's not betterable because it was my best. I think that that's the whole... I mean, I know I've done this too with business, with medical school, with training, with weight loss as well. So many times I tried my best and I failed. And so I must not be able to figure this out. Rather than what we're talking about is your best is always betterable, but you have to decide you're never going to quit. 
Yes. I think that's really the important thing is that you're not going to quit because it's like, what's the alternative is you're not going to grow your money. You're never going to have the life that you want. And if something, if you want something to change, you have to do something different. And it's, it sounds obviously so logical, but I'm sure you see this with potential clients or even current clients. Like it would be great if I could wake up tomorrow and be a billionaire. Mm -hmm. Actually, I I probably should work with you, Priyanka, because I'm just, I wake up and I'm like, why am I not at my goal weight? It's like, well, yeah. duh, because I haven't done anything. <laughs> yes. And this is like, I love it. This is such a good example. It's true of money and it's true of hitting your, your dream ideal weight. It's if you want something to change, absolutely, you have to change something. I think that that's the other piece. It's like, oh, but it's, there's a hopefulness. It's like we're hoping and wishing that maybe it'll happen on its own. And that's delusional. I And I'm saying totally. that with so much love. I'm saying that with so much love to anyone listening when it comes to weight loss, when it comes to growing your money. If you want a new result this year, if you want a new result one month from now or six months from now, you have to take new action. Like there's no way around it. It doesn't mean it has to be too hard. It doesn't mean that it has to like flip your life upside down, but you do have to take new action. And I, I mean, this is like kind of my like, I don't know, siren call to all of you that want something new. You have to do something different. Stop wishing. Stop wishing and just like start doing. So I'm like curious, what are your thoughts on that when it comes to money? Oh, totally. They have to do something different. And also it's going to take some effort work and effort. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, our brains are lazy. They don't want to do anything new. Many ways it's like, well, everything's fine. Would I want more money? Sure. And then you hear things like, well, especially with my clientele, well, I'm this specialty. Usually it's family medicine or pediatrician. So I can't make mm-hmm. more than X or give me the pediatrician budget for this travel type trip. Right. They like literally box themselves into a certain amount of income. And a lot of people just have relegated themselves. Like this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. And I chose this specialty to help people. So I really shouldn't want more money anyway, some version mm. of that. So I, I hear this too. It's like, I only have 10 or 20 pounds to lose. It's not that bad. Like it's yes. not that bad. I'm okay. And listen, I love that you feel that. What I'm always more interested in is of course you can keep that, but if you have a desire for something more, yes, what's in the way of you going out and making that your new reality? Well, failing. What do, you th- what do you think it is for you? Yeah. So what is it for you? Because you were just saying like, yeah, failing and what else? Well, it's not just failing like you're going to feel bad about yourself. It's like, but what will other people think? And also if you think about money, I mean, I guess weight's the same thing, but like it's visible to some degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for example, if someone's living in a nice house and all of a sudden they're moving into a smaller house, I guess like, well, who would really know? I guess they're mm-hmm. friends and family, but like, it's not like right. the world at large is going to know that unless you're a public figure like you and me, yeah. I guess. Right. But there's also like, what are other people going to think? But that's really based on what do I think? Like I used to feel embarrassed for people to see, you know, where I used to live, for example, mm-hmm. because it was quote unquote small. I mean, I was in New York City, so everyone had small apartments, but I still feel that way to some degree. Like this fear of what will they think when they see like where I live? Because we still live it. It's a luxury high rise building and I love it. And actually very recently, Priyanka, I was like, but I like living here. And I think just even coming to terms with that or just telling the truth to myself, no, this, I love living here. And yes, yeah, some yeah. people might be like, why doesn't she live in a huge house? Like, sure. But it's like, it doesn't matter what they think. It matters what I think. That kind of speaks to this piece of owning your desire. Yes. Owning your desire. So I could say right now at you know, my current weight, I'm, I'm, I'm okay right now. And then just own that. Nobody says you have to get to a certain size. Who cares about normal BMI? And I'm saying this as a physician. Okay. Like I'm not, we're not in the business of telling you 
the number on the scale that is best for you. You know yourself best. You know yourself best with how much money you want to have, with what size body you feel the most comfortable living in. I think what we're talking about is own your desire. So if I feel perfectly content at this weight, then own it and like let it go. You don't have to lose any money, any money, any any weight. But if you know, you're like, you know what? I would love. I had somebody say this to me on a console call recently. I would just love, love to drop 15 pounds. I'm in that category. Bonnie, listen. I mean, she said, so she said, I would just, and then she said, but I'm okay right now. So do you see how she got literally out of it? Yes. Okay. So why are you doing that? Listen, can we just talk about this for a second? We're going to do a console console right now. I'm going to, I mean, I was going (laughs) to like, we're just going to coach you on this right now. So hold on. There's this desire. She said, I mean, her, if you could see her eyes lit up, she's like, oh my gosh, the idea of losing 15 pounds, I just would feel so happy, but I'm just okay right now. Do you see what she did? So she got super excited at the idea of 15 pounds. Her eyes lit up. her, Her whole energy was like, like buzzing with this desire. And then what does she do to herself? This is something women do all the time. She cooled herself off. She dampened her own desire. Why do you, you, you just said you do it. Well, so with why money. Do you do that? I think it's with yeah. money too. I think, yeah. I think is, yeah, I think it's the owning your desire. I just love that phrase that you just, I'm totally going to steal it for oh, yes. my clients now. Let's do but it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously my clients work with me because they have the desire for more money, but that's, yeah. ob- that's obviously what it is, but then they get quote unquote realistic. That's yeah. what, that's how it shows up for money. I don't know if that's what people think your clients think it's, well, it's, I don't think it's a realistic thing. I think that there's two pieces happening. One is the idea of having that much desire or like a joy and excitement feels kind of scary being at my dream ideal weight. I mean, let me tell you, this was something that I thought about for decades when I was at my heaviest. I was like, the idea of being at my ideal weight felt like too good to be true. Cause I had spent so long living heavier than I wanted. And so there was a part of me that felt it's so weird. You think you want your dream ideal weight, but there's something almost a little scary about like having it. So there's that piece like, wow, that's too good to be true. And I think women are not used to having that good feeling. It feels scary. The second piece is the fear of disappointment. So if I want it and I put it out there and I'm saying it out loud, like saying it out loud for the universe to hear. And if I don't get it, then the possibility of disappointment feels so great. So what we do is we just kind of like slow our own roll down. Don't let ourselves get disappointed to start. And we just basically live in a perpetual disappointment because you're not at your dream. I mean, these are just my thoughts. You tell me what you think. Well, I think there's another layer to money is like, we feel like we shouldn't desire more money. The desire to want more money is seen as immoral, like morally wrong. And Mm -hmm. you should be grateful for what you have type of mentality. I mean, I see that with weight loss too, especially when it's 15 or 20 pounds. I see so many women that feel like it's indulgent. That's what, that's where Mm -hmm. that word came from. It's like, I mean, I'm fine right now. I technically don't have to lose the weight. I mean, I'm, there's a lot of that. I'm okay right now. So I don't have to, it's, and there's something that seems either frivolous or indulgent about the idea of investing time investing bandwidth, investing energy, and absolutely investing money in solving the problem. Because it's like, I mean, there are other people that are suffering with real problems, quote unquote, real problems. People in the world have way, way worse problems than me. And so who am I to like spend money, time, energy, or bandwidth on solving 15 pounds? Like how, how ridiculous is that? And so do you hear the judgment, how much it's dripping? And all we're doing is we are snatching our desires right out of our hands. This is, this is unrelated, but I was talking to someone who had 50 to 100 pounds to lose and yeah. I'm perpetually wanting to lose 10 or 15 pounds. And she kind of was 
saying, oh, it's so much easier to lose 10 or 15 pounds than what I have to let. And I just was like, I actually think mm. it's harder in many ways yeah. because of the, well, I'm fine and it's it's fine. So I think the way that I describe it is it it can be true both ways. The idea that somebody has a lot of weight to lose, they assume it's harder because they have so far to go. They yes. have 50 or 100 pounds to go. They they feel like their quote unquote finish line is so far away. So in their mind, their thoughts are, I have so far to go. It's going to take me so much longer. I have so much more work to do. The finish line is farther. So in their mind, that's why they're saying it's going to be harder for me. The person that has 10 pounds to lose is closer to the finish line, you know, number of pounds wise, but they might have to make different tweaks to the way that they eat, to how much they eat, to how they eat. Like they might have to make more, it's almost like more fine-tuned tweaks and that might be more work. So you can see how like either way, wh whichever camp you're in, you can make the argument that mm -hmm. this is harder. The person has a lot of weight to lose is like, oh, the finish line's farther. The person that has less weight to lose is like, I have to tweak more. I have to get more specific. So they both are right. Yeah. They're, basically what I'm hearing is one isn't necessarily harder or easier than the other. Absolutely not. I mean, this is like why, like even with the Unstoppable group, I coach clients that have, you could have five pounds to lose or more than 50 and the process applies to both. And yeah. we tweak it and we customize it for your unique body. But the process, imagine, I mean, you know this, the process of really changing your brain and understanding how to treat yourself is the same for both, which is, I think, the best news. Yeah. Just taking a little bit of a pivot, when you think about investing, when it's just investing on you wanting to grow your money or invest in just yourself, what are your thoughts? How would you share kind of your perspective on investing in something that does not have a tangible ROI, like a money return? So like investing in coaching, for example, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. To me, investing in your mind is the key to making more money. Your mind is your biggest income producing asset. The limit of your ability to make money is is like your the limitation of how you're thinking about it, right? Because if yeah. you if you have thoughts like I can't make more money, then yeah, you're not going to make more money. This idea of investing in coaching, which is effectively investing in your brain, is how you up the quality of your thinking, your problem solving, your solutions, you're creating your solutions, and especially probably learning from the mistakes that you are absolutely going to make happens more when you improve the quality of your thinking. And it happens so much faster. Like I really think about coaching as like it accelerates whatever you're going to do. Of course, you could figure it out on your own. I just think it it compresses a timeline significantly. So growing your money is the same thing as investing your money. And actually, I heard this from a friend of mine, and I just love the way he described it beautifully. He said investing is taking today's cash flow to create tomorrow's cash flow. That's mm. literally what investing is. The traditional mindset around investing is to invest in the stock market in your 401k, max out all the things so that you can have money in 30 years. So mm. tomorrow's money is just very delayed. It works. You just have to be okay with waiting decades. And I think if you think about that just old mindset of retirement, you get a job, you work at the same job for decades, which is what people used to do when they work for mm -hmm. a quote unquote corporation, and then they take care of you with a pension. We all know that that's kind of all going away. The onus is now really on the person to prepare for retirement. But that is just one way to create tomorrow's cash flow. It's the slowest. It's also the easiest, right? There's always, there's this like easiest and less effort takes longer for money. The higher risk, the higher likelihood of, it's not even like failure, but the tomorrow's cash flow can be a lot sooner. So for real estate, tomorrow's cash flow can be within a year. And also one thing is when you do the, whatever type of investing you do, you will likely die at your peak net worth. 
which means Mm -hmm. you spent your whole life not enjoying the money that you have. Of course, I'm sure most of our listeners, we do enjoy the money. We travel more, et cetera, but you could be enjoying so much more money sooner. I don't know. Do you want to die at your peak net worth and not be able to use it? I mean, this is like one of the things that I always like, yeah, I always, I always think about this. Like when I'm 90, I will not wish that I had more money in my bank account at the age of 90. I will wish that I spent more time in the body that I wanted to spend my life in. Like, I think I really think about it like that. Like when I'm 90, what will I want? Will I want more money in the bank account? No, I will wish that 50 years ago I had solved this problem and that at 90, I can like lift my own groceries and feel comfortable in the body that I'm in. So I'm curious if that's kind of like, that's my weight loss example, but I'm curious. No, I love it, right? Because you're never going to be as young and healthy as you are now. And also if you're going to, you know, wait 30 or 40 years to retire. Well, first of all, that 30 or 40 years, not only is it not guaranteed, but your health isn't guaranteed. And, you know, we all know people who get sick, but no one thinks that it's going to be them until it happens to them. So I think it's like this balance of enjoying your money and growing it. So it's not either or. It's kind of taking us back out of the all or nothing. So it's not, we're not ignoring the long arc. We're not ignoring our like long-term future, but we're trying to bring it back to balancing. What about today? Like, what about our desires today? And like, start taking action to create that now instead of waiting and wishing and hoping that it happens on its own. It's not going to happen on its own. Like bring back the balance. I think the important thing is to do something and then to do something after that. Yeah. One thing at a time, like, cause my clients are often overwhelmed with all the money things they have to, it's like, they decide, okay, I'm going to work on it. And then they're like, holy crap, there's so much stuff out there. I'm like, just one thing at a time. Okay. So like, if you just think about just to wrap up, there are so many resources out there. If somebody wants to take one step so that they're not overwhelmed, what would be the first step that someone takes to educate themselves and then start taking actual needle moving action? What's their first first step? Well, they could obviously work with me. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Or I think it's just do some education. So obviously, you know, I wrote a book. There's some practical stuff. It's more about getting your mind straight and like, you know, allowing yourself to have the desire to have more money. But I don't think it really matters what they do, Priyanka. I think it just matters that they do something. In fact, when I was really struggling with what type of real estate to start with, do I do passive? Do I do active and inactive? Do I do short-term, long-term? And I remember because Peter Kim, he was like, I think I was like, oh, should I do this type? I think it was like a turnkey type of investing. And I was like, oh, he's going to give me an opinion. I'm pretty sure he's going to say, don't do it. But he was like, you know what? I like it because it means you're doing something. You're doing something. That's the answer. So it's like, I think the takeaway is start doing something that is fulfilling your desire today. Stop waiting. Stop consuming. Stop waiting. Start taking action today. Bonnie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Guys, Bonnie is the author of Wealth for Women, which is her book. Make sure you go get it. And the host of the very popular podcast, Wealthy Mom MD. Go and listen. She has all kinds of amazing strategies and tips for you that will blow your mind. Bonnie, tell us where else we can find you and how people can reach out to you. So everything is Wealthy Mom MD. That's my Instagram handle. That's my website. And as you said, it's my podcast as well. So pretty easy. I love it, Bonnie. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bonnie and I had so much fun filming this conversation because I think this is such an important topic for high achieving professional women. I don't know about all of you, but for me especially, I know that growing up and particularly into my early adulthood, talking about money just was not really a thing that I did. So I hope today's conversation sparked something in you, maybe created a shift in how you want to think about money and how you want to talk about money, having it, making it, earning it, and spending it. I know that high achieving professional women are working 
think so hard. And our first and foremost thought is often really thinking about our families and taking care of ourselves in the far future. My goal for all of you is yes, that matters. Your far future matters, your family safety and security matters. But what would it be like for you to start owning, creating more of what you want today? As Bonnie and I talked about, that means taking new action today. I encourage you to stop waiting for tomorrow to create what you want and start now. The biggest thing that is in the way for high achievers to take needle moving action, whether it comes to hitting your dream ideal weight or growing your money is because high achievers have specific obstacles. I discuss all of this in my most recent masterclass. Make sure you go grab it while it's available. Theunstoppablemombrain.com forward slash training, and you will learn exactly why you might hold yourself back from taking needle moving action and exactly how to solve it. I cannot wait to meet you in your email inbox and I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Unstoppable Mom Brain Podcast. It's been an honor spending this time with you and your brilliant brain. If you want more resources or information from the show, head on over to theunstoppablemombrain.com.